Those of you that are, that are new, we started last week a series called Greater Than, and, and as we were getting together as a creative team, we just kind of ended up saying, hey, what if Jesus was uh, running for political office? What would, what would that look like? Now, I know that he wasn't, I know he wasn't looking for an earthly kingdom and etc., but, but uh, as a satire, what if he was? And I've got a, a buddy, one of, the, one of the guys in that video that does, uh, does video uh, in, in film. And and uh, he's he's helping us out with those uh, w- with those and and uh, we're just coming up. What if his disciples were Jesus' speechwriters? What would that look like? And and what kind of things would they say to Jesus based on the speeches that that he had? And if Jesus were running for office, would he have a stump speech? And Jesus did have a stump. stump Speech, easy for me to say. Stump speech, we call that the, it's the Sermon on the Mount. He went up on a hill, maybe he sat down on a stump, and he started teaching people. He started teaching the disciples, the people that were already following him for whatever reason, and it, he began to teach them uh, more of what it looked like to be a disciple. Our uh, satire question for this series is, what if Jesus ran for office? Our serious question for this series is, what is a disciple? What does it look like to be a disciple? What does it look like to follow Jesus? What does it look like to be a citizen of his kingdom? Even though Jesus didn't run for political office, he is still a king. And the Sermon on the Mount is his speech about what it's like to be a part of his kingdom as a citizen. And he gave us platforms, and we've broken these down into ten different platforms, and we're on week number two of, of platforms. Not like a platform you stand on, but a platform that, that political people stand on, the ideas that they stand on, to get you to vote for them. And we've broken this down into ten different platforms, ten different ideas of what it means to be a citizen of, of God's kingdom. And last week we took a look at a greater character, that God wants to give us a greater character. And we looked at, if you've, if you've been around church at all, what we call the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. The blessed are the merciful. The blessed are the pure. The blessings. And that God wants to give us a greater character. And it's all built around hungering and thirsting for His righteousness. And we looked at a greater character is anchored in God, but it benefits other people. It's solidly anchored in God. That's the first part of the Beatitudes, the first four. But it benefits other people because our character, we can't really truly say that that it's anchored in God unless it benefits other people. And if you were here last week and, and, and you went home, you're like, oh, that's cool, and we can uh, have a greater character and everything, and it benefits other people, and you're like, wow, how exactly does it benefit other people? It's one thing to be a peacemaker. It's one thing to be pure. It's one thing to, to have mercy, but how does exactly does it impact other people? How does this greater character impact other people? And as you can tell from the skit, if you've been around church at all, we're going to, going to be talking about the salt and light passage. And if you've been around church, you, you're familiar with that metaphor that, that Jesus used. And, and as Tim is the one that said, you know, he's, he's great with metaphors. But he's just, you know, especially for 21st century, just not real dietary, you know, uh, um, aware the salt of the earth, man, the people that have high blood pressure, they just be offended by Jesus, you know. I'll just have to end up getting my blood pressure checked more often or something. 
But what did Jesus mean by saying the salt of the earth? And, 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 and it's tied in, and how is it tied into this greater character? When we're looking in Matthew 5.13, you can follow, around, uh, follow along in a hardbound Bible, or, or uh, we're going to throw the scriptures up on the screen. We want to make it as easy as possible for people to follow. And, and if you don't have a, 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 a Bible at home that's easy to read, or Bible at home at all, you can take one. We've got, uh, we've got New Testaments out there you can take for free. But you can also follow along on your tablet or smartphone. Our Wi-Fi is here to serve, all one word. You can log in uh, to our Wi-Fi and be able to get up the, uh, uh, the Bible app, be able to follow along on the Bible app. You can even take notes and, and, and stuff with, with that app. But Matthew 5.13 says, You are the salt of the earth. But what good is it if salt has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? Well, it will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. And so from our 21st century mindset, you know, we, 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 we think about salt from, from our mindset. We use salt to, to make things taste better, and, and, and salt kind of makes us thirsty, and, 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 and these type of things. Then our doctor tells us to cut out the salt because we've, we've ate too much salt, and, and we might die early if we have, we have, if we have too much salt. But, but really, Jesus has in mind a 1st century idea of salt, not just a 21st century idea of salt. And what did they use? salt for in the first century they use it for refrigeration or actually in place of refrigeration well not in place of refrigeration refrigeration hadn't even been invented yet that was coming in about 1850 or so they put meat and they dabbed it in salt and they put it in a, a into a container full of salt and, and then just 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 put a lid over it. That way they could preserve their meat longer. The salt prevented decay. It defended against the decay of the meat decay and they not being able to eat the meat. So maybe a lot of times you've heard this metaphor used and, oh, we're supposed to, as Christians, make people thirsty or, you know, we're supposed to, you know, we're supposed to flavor people and stuff. And, you know, that's true. We can make that metaphor. But what Jesus had in mind was this idea that, that salt prevented decay. And another thing that, uh, that, if you know Scott, he pointed out to me or, or sent to me that somebody else read that, you know, they put salt in... Uh, in, in fires to help it flame, but then they, you know, they put manure in their fire for some reason and help it flame and everything. So we're either supposed to prevent decay or help poop burn, one of the two. I think prevent decay. I, I think that's probably uh, what Jesus had in mind. So, but if we take another metaphor uh, from our popular culture, a sports metaphor... One of the aspects of sports is defense. That we're defending against change. When we're when we're playing defense uh, on in football or basketball or soccer or hockey or baseball, when we're when we're playing defense, we're defending against change. We're keeping the other team from changing the score. And this is what Jesus is talking about. When we have a greater character, when we live out the greater character that God gives us himself, we are preventing change. We are preventing decay. We are preventing decay, first of all, in our own lives. Those of you that, that, that may be here, you've struggled with church, you struggle with Jesus, don't really know what this Jesus thing is all about or this church thing is all about, 
you still intrinsically know about this decay. You might not have been able to pinpoint it. You might not have been able to put your finger on it. And maybe some of you, even though you've been years in this Christian thing, you can think back to a time when, 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 when you couldn't quite put your finger on decay, but you knew that it was there. That inside of you, there was a spot inside of you that was decaying, and you knew you couldn't do anything about it. Maybe that's why you're here this morning. There's a spot inside of you that you know is decaying. You can't quite put a finger on it. You might not have been able to to vocalize that before you walked in here, but you're going, yeah, that's exactly right. There's decay occurring inside of me that I can't quite put a finger on it. Somebody told me or somebody... I remember way back when my grandmother had me on her knee and, and she was telling me stories of the Bible or singing those hymns and, and, and I was like, man, I've got to go back to church. There's something happening. I've got to go back to church. Or you remember VBS or you remember camp or something or you haven't been to church at all but somebody was talking about what God was doing and you're like, man, there's something happening inside of me that I've got to stop but I don't know how and that's why you're here. For a lot of you, you've already experienced Jesus coming into your life and preventing the decay, stopping the decay, repairing the decay, and now preventing it from occurring again. For those of you that that aren't following Jesus yet, and, and you just say, you know, I'm not a fan of God right now, or I'm not a Christian, that's okay. We want you to come in. We want you to kick the tires. We want you to figure out what this Jesus thing is all about. And the first and foremost thing that it's all about is to prevent the decay that's occurring because of sin. And once we see Jesus start transforming the decay into life, we then go out and begin to defend against the decay of sin in the lives around us. For individual people, for our neighborhoods, for our workplaces, for our schools, in the areas around us that we find ourselves in, that God has placed us in, we help prevent decay from sin that isn't going to necessarily stop people from sinning however our presence our presence because of what God is doing in our life our simple presence walking into this situation changes things have you ever had somebody that when they were around you they're like oh I can't use those words because I'm around you that's preventing decay preventing decay or maybe you're around a group of people that are normally, uh, you know, partiers would get drunk and things would happen. But when you were around, maybe, maybe they would still do stuff, but it wouldn't be as bad as if you weren't there. You're preventing decay. And this is where the Beatitudes gets incredibly practical. Blessed are the merciful. What's the opposite of mercy? Ruthless. We've never seen anybody be ruthless now, have we? Just absolutely mean and bully. As people with a greater character, we walk into situations where people are being ruthless and do what we can to prevent that decay from setting in on people's lives. Blessed are the pure. When we walk into situations where people are, are impure, we don't walk in and necessarily start preaching to them or at them, but just by our mere presence and by what, what they know of us, they change their actions. Maybe for a brief time, 
but they change their actions. Blessed are the peacemakers. There's no drama or chaos at your work, is there? None whatsoever? Never any drama or chaos? As Christians, as followers of Christ, do we add to the drama or do we take away? Do we bring peace into the situation? Sometimes, and a lot of times as Christians, we see this fire of drama and what do we do? Instead of come put it out, we just go, I got some gasoline! Either that or we hold it in and we just go post on Facebook. I can't believe the drama. We're adding to the drama. We're adding to the drama of what's occurring around us. But as people with the greater character, God wants to use our character in order to squelch the drama. Again, not to preach at people or come in and that adds to drama. But because of our mere presence and just simply living out the way God wants us to live out, we are helping take the chaos and turn it into peace. Blessed are those that are being persecuted. There's the kingdom of heaven. Be glad that you're being persecuted. And maybe you, 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 you've heard that and you're like, how can you be glad? But see, what, is, what does being glad when you're being persecuted do? It takes away the ammunition of the person persecuting you. When people are trying to get underneath your skin, what do they want? They want a reaction. I'm good at that. I can annoy until I get a reaction. None of you are like that either, are you? But what happens if you don't get a reaction? You get bored and go annoy the next person. We're being persecuted, but we're glad. We're taking away the ammunition for somebody to use to keep coming back. They get bored. And we're defending against the decay of sin that is occurring in our society, in our culture, in the people, in the workplaces, in the neighborhoods around us, in the families around us. Jesus wants to, wants to use our greater character that he has given us in order to have a greater impact and to defend against people, against the, 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 the decay of sin. And one of the best examples to, from all the Bible is Daniel. Got tucked back in the Old Testament. You know, the whole lion guy, you know, mouth of lions and lion's den. And you're like, oh man, I thought that was just some sort of myth or something. Just some sort of Aesop fable or some story. No, it's really in the Bible. It's really there. But he went into a culture that was utterly opposed to the faith of the Hebrews. Utterly opposed. But he went into this culture and instead of shrinking back from the culture like, ah, I don't believe the way you believe and I don't do things the way you do things and so I'm just going to be this over here. He and his three friends, his three buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, decided to step into culture. And what Jesus would later describe as salt and light, he was and his buddies were the salt and light. So what ended up happening one day was that Nebuchadnezzar, the evil king that, that actually took them into captivity... Uh, had a dream. And it disturbed him. And Nebuchadnezzar, when he, when he had this dream, and it disturbed him, he went to his wise men, and his, his, the, 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 the guys that he relied on and trusted on, and said, I had a dream. And I want you to tell me the interpretation. So the wise men were just standing there. And 
All right. Give us the dream. No, 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 no. You guys don't understand. It's so disturbing, I'm not going to talk about the dream. I want you to give me the dream and the interpretation. Otherwise, they're like, no, really, we, we can't do that. You're, doing, you're asking us to do something that's impossible. No, really, give me the dream. And, and Nebuchadnezzar fell off his rocker. He got mad. He got ticked. He was like, no, you guys are stalling. If you can't tell me the interpretation and the dream, I'm going to kill you all. It's a problem, right? Ever had a boss fall off his rocker? Probably not quite like that, but... And so for some reason, Daniel wasn't in that first meeting. And when, when the, those guys couldn't in, uh, tell him the dream and interpret it, um, uh, Nebuchadnezzar sent the uh, officers around to uh, pick up all the wise men and all, all the people that uh, were advisors to the king. And Daniel was one of them. And when the officers came to Daniel, uh, Daniel wasn't aware of what was going on. And, and <laughs> Daniel was like, why are you arresting me? We're, we're going to go kill you. Why are you killing me? There's a whole new batch of questions that come up with this. Why are you killing me? Well, the king and the dream and this and that, nobody could tell. And, 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 and Daniel was in tight enough with Nebuchadnezzar that, that, that Daniel told the officer, hold on, hold on, don't arrest me. Let me go talk to the king. And, and Daniel, according to the story, just kind of walks into the king and is like, what are you doing? What why are you doing this? And give me some time and, 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 and let me see what happens. So Nebuchadnezzar gave him some time. Uh, Daniel had enough influence to talk him off the cliff. Maybe you've done that with your boss before. Maybe that's how you defend the culture around you is that you talk your boss off the cliff from firing everybody you know, every six months or so. And God gives Daniel the dream and the interpretation and goes back to the king. He was salt. He defended that nation and the people against the anger and the ruthlessness of the king. So God's put you in a setting, in a place. He's put me in a neighborhood, in a job, uh, in, in hobbies, in families. For a reason. To help prevent decay. Decay that has occurred by sin. And how is God using you to prevent decay? And how does He want to use you to prevent decay that's, that's occurring because of sin? And only that is we gather as, as, as a group and as, as a, a group of, of people who believe and the followers of Jesus and, and, and we gather and, and then people who aren't followers of Jesus just checking this Jesus guy out. We want our gathering to be maybe just a temporary respite from the decay of sin. And that's what we want for you here so that you can experience what that is like so that you can end up trusting in Christ and trusting in Jesus. And in, in August, we're going to put up a network map of all of our impact teams so that we can all kind of see where we might be able to fit in with our giftings and our passions and what God has done for, 
with us and through us and what, what he can do with us to, to make this environment more and more and more a place where people who are experiencing decay can show up and at least temporarily see relief from the decay. Because that's what God wants to do with us. And even our building. And we've been talking about how, how do we expand and, and, and how do we get something bigger. And we've got some opportunities right next to us and around the corner and, and a couple other that we've been talking about in, in Republic. But it's not about the price. It's not about you know per square foot or you know, decisions like that. Those are part of the decisions. But where can we be salt? When we gather, where does salt, where does the defending against decay need to occur so that we impact neighborhoods so that where there's bad financial decisions we help come in and, and help preserve the decay and, of the bad financial decisions or bad relationship decisions or bad moral decisions that we can help and have a presence and be salt in neighborhoods but not only that that we go out and go to places in America that are barely have have a have just a very small percentage of of a christian influence so we can go out and we can serve and help prevent decay and serve and show how what it looks like to have a completely different character and go into 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 regions of the world that are unreached completely unreached there's no christian influence at all we walk in and serve governments and serve tribal leaders and witch doctors or, or whoever is over that community and serve the community or the tribe so we can show them what a greater character looks like so that we can help prevent decay. This is what Jesus did. He walked into cities and started healing people. He started preventing decay physically so that people could be aware of the decay that was occurring spiritually. Those of you familiar with sports, though, you know, well, defense is only one side of the ball. There's a second side of the ball. There's offense. And what is offense? Offense is, it's not defending or preventing change. It is actually going out and changing the score. Changing the score. Jesus used a little bit different metaphor, but it's the same idea. You are the light of the world, a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it underneath a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. We can a little easier be able to see this metaphor and know intrinsically this metaphor, but even at that, we have a hard time because even if we get out into the country, it's not truly dark. There's lights around. We might see on the horizon the light pollution of Republic or Springfield, and, and it's, not, it's not truly dark. If you've ever taken a, a trip in a fantastic cavern or one of those tours of fantastic caverns or another cave or cavern and they turn the lights out on you that can't see literally the hand in front of your face. You know, maybe as a teenager you kind of liked that time you could get away with something or something because it was totally dark and the sponsor couldn't see. And, but I'm not asking for testimonies or anything here today. So... But that's what it was like to travel in the dark in the first century. It was completely dark because there wasn't streetlights. 
again, electricity was about 1,800 years yet to be invented. All you had was a little genie lamp lit. There's enough to kind of light up a, a halo around you. A couple of steps. So you were just waiting for that time. You'd come around the bend and every city was built on a hill. That was the first line of defense. That, that it was built on a hill so that people couldn't you know, run up the hill and overtake it. You were waiting for that city. As you came around the bend, you were waiting for that city with all of its lights combined of people and houses. and it, it, all, That city that where all of its lights combined, you were waiting to be able to see that city appear up on the hill. Because then, not, not only did you have the two, two or so feet around you that was lit, but you had a north star of where you were headed. And what did the light do? It changed the darkness, right? It changed the darkness. It, light goes into darkness and changes it. The absence of light is dark. If we turned off all the lights in here, it would be dark. Light changes darkness. This is what Jesus is saying. When I give you a greater character, the impact that you are going to make isn't just going to defend, but it's actually going to offend, not like as in make people mad, but offend as in like a sports metaphor, as in we're going to go change the score. Your greater character is going to go change the score. It's going to go change the darkness into light. We're not just going to prevent people from being ruthless. We are going to actually change ruthless people into merciful people. You're not just going to defend against impurity. You're going to go and you're going to change impure people into pure people. You're not going to just defend against chaos. You're going to go and turn chaotic people into peaceful people. You're not going to just be persecuted. You're not just going to defend against sin by being persecuted and being glad about it. But you're actually going to change persecutors' hearts. going to actually change the score. Change darkness into light. In our neighborhoods, in our families, in our workplaces, in our schools, everywhere that we are, we get the opportunity to change darkness into light. We get the opportunity to change the score. And for those of you, again, that's just coming, coming in and, 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 and you, you don't know Christ and you don't know Jesus and you're don't, not sure about this church thing, but you just happen to be here. This is what we want to happen for you, to have the darkness changed into light. Because that's what Jesus is about. He's about changing people, changing the darkness into light, changing death into life, to change decay into life. That's what Jesus is all about. That's what Jesus came and died. That's what he wants to do in every one of our lives. It's not about coming and sitting in church and doing our good, good deed. It's about Christ transforming our lives into something brand new. He's changing the score for your life. From darkness into life. And we as a church, we as a body, we do this to change the score. We gather together on Sunday mornings in order to change the score. In our own life to let some rays shine into some places that are dark. But we do this for people who are living in darkness. And want a remedy. They know their life is decaying. But they don't know what to do about it and they want a remedy. They want something different. So we give them a refuge, a respite. 
to help them see who Jesus is. And we go out into our community not just to serve, to prevent decay, but to, but to end up changing people. End up seeing them follow Him. We go into areas that, that don't have churches to plant churches. We go into areas that don't have Christians to make Christians, make followers of Jesus. And we're not talking about people that just pray a prayer. Followers of Jesus. That's what God wants to do with the greater character. And that's where God is taking us and where He is heading us. But sports teams don't just play offense and defense just to play it. What happens? What happens when that, when that center blocks the shot and takes it into the third row? What happens when the, when the offensive player actually gets the slam dunk and posterizes the guy? What happens on the Hail Mary pass? Or what happens on the interception? What happens on the, on the shot that's made or the save that's made? What happens on the home run or the diving catch? What happens? What happens? The crowd goes, yeah! Right? They go nuts. They go wild. They start cheering. That's what Jesus talks about happening as well. Verse 16, in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. See, when we don't live out our, 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 our greater character that God gives us, when we don't la- leave that out, it's like salt that's lost its compound. It's like taking a light and putting that under, underneath a basket. It makes no sense at all. It's better to blow the light out. It's better to throw the salt out. When we do not live out the character that God has given us, it makes no sense. And those of you, again, that are just checking this thing out, you're off the hook. We don't want you to, to act like us. Just to act like us, we want you to experience Christ so that He transforms you and gives you the greater character. But those of us who are following, you're on the hook. Sorry. No opting out of this one. You're on the hook. God's given us a greater character, so what are we going to do with it? And when we live this out, how do we know that we're living it out the right way? Last week I talked about an audience of six billion, not an audience of one. A lot of times we talk about in church an audience of one, where it's just me and God, baby, just me and God. And man, if I worship God, if I raise my hands a little bit, and if I feel a little ooey gooey's and flutteries and stuff in here when, when the band's playing, then man, audience of one, baby, it's me and God, and that's just me and God, and it's me and God, and that's the score, right? That's the scorecard. We're like, we leave here, we're like, yeah, it's me and God today, baby. It's me and God. Audience of one. What's ironic about that? We get, to, we get to say what the score is. We get to say what a goal or what a score is. And we get to keep score. Good for us, right? <laughs> when we get to make the rules. When we get to say when the rules are made or are kept. And we get to you know, keep the score according to our own rules. That's great. That's a great scenario. My oldest son is bad about this. He goes up to his brothers and he tries to play a game with him and he makes the rules and he makes them according to what will help him 
and then he keeps the score, and then they get ticked and not want to play with him? Like it's an audience of one, baby. It's an audience of one. See, it turns us into self-centered Christians, self-centered followers of Christ, because we get to we get to say what's the score, we get to we get to keep the score, and we get to pat ourselves on the back so we leave feeling good that manages me and God, baby. Woo-hoo. But if we take it a step further and go, well, it's not really that. It's like other Christians applauding, you know, that 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 you know we worshipped God. But it's, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. We get to make the rules. We get to keep the rules. We get to say when we've kept the rules. And we leave here patting ourselves on the back about how good we are, about how we worship God. For those of you that have struggled with church, that's probably one of the areas that you struggled with. It seemed like you make the rules, but not keep them. But you pat yourself on the back about keeping the rules that you made, but you're not really making them. Like, I'm confused about this. I don't want anything to do with it. If our existence as Crosspoint Fellowship is to show up on Sunday morning to pat ourselves on the back, that's disgusting. And it has nothing to do with biblical Christianity. It has everything to do with self-serving and keeping the score ourselves. So that we can feel good about patting ourselves on the back and, and me and God, an audience of one, and we've cheered, and we've cheered each other, and we leave. But the scorecard that Jesus set up so that everyone will praise your Heavenly Father, what's the context? The context is those in darkness, right, are seeing the Heavenly Father. So that everyone will praise your Heavenly Father. In other words, so that everybody will cheer. Your Heavenly Father. What if our scorecard is people who are non-fans walking in here becoming fans and cheering God? You're like, I don't know why I'm cheering God. I'm not quite sure that I'm supposed to be cheering God. And five minutes ago, I didn't know that I wanted to cheer God. But now, yay God. Yay God. What if that was our scorecard? What if that was our metric? Because that was Jesus' metric. That was Jesus' metric. His metric was how many lost sheep were found. How many lost coins were found. How many lost sons were found. That was his metric. His metric was how many, how many sick people found healing. That was his metric. So what if our metric was, I show up in order to do my thing in order for people who are not fans of God that this week or next week or a year from now, they'll go, yay God, I'm now a fan of God. And some of you were there not too long ago. That for whatever reason, maybe you had been in church and you were about ready to give up on church or you had given up on church or you had given up on God or you had given up on life or whatever. And then for whatever reason, you came in here almost ready to give up and now you're going yay God and I use whatever strength to say yay God and now it's your turn to give back see I don't want people to serve just so that people serve 
And I get my willies out of seeing people serve and little ants going around serving. Serve. Hey-ho. Hey-ho. You know, off to work I go. You know, whatever. Here's how I get my willies. I get my willies out of seeing people serve so that they can turn non-fans of God into fans. And they go, yay, God. Because Jesus wants the same thing for your life. To use your greater character that he has given you to begin with in order to have a greater impact so that non-fans go, yay, God. I don't even know why I'm clapping for God, but yay, God. And Daniel did the same thing. Nebuchadnezzar turned whack, wacky in chapter 4. He um, was prideful and praised himself and set himself up as God. So God gave him the, a case of the crazies. He would have came to see you in jail or something, you know. case of the crazies went out and he was acting like an animal. Literally, he was eating grass and acting like an animal. And at one point in time, he lifted up his eyes up into heaven and, and praised God. And God turned him back immediately. Now, Daniel was never a part of the, the story of chapter 4. However, I would have to think that Daniel's influence on Nebuchadnezzar's life, because he was one of Nebuchadnezzar's main guys, that Daniel's influence helped change Nebuchadnezzar. And if you read chapter 4 of Daniel, you'll probably wonder, like me, will we see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven? This evil king that took over God's own people? Will we see him? Because it really sure sounds like it according to Daniel 4. We see Daniel's greater character having a greater impact to turn people who were prideful, who were ruthless, into people who ended up cheering God. Yay. God. That's what God wants to do with your life. So use your life to turn people in to fans of God. That's what he wants to do. So where are you? Are you saying, I'm kind of in that decay, darkness part? It's all right. This is a safe place. This is a safe place to be real about your life. You're not going to shock us. You're not going to turn us away. You're not going to say something that causes you to get kicked out. We're here to help defend against the decay and help turn that into life. Maybe you have no idea how God wants to use you to impact. And that's where you need to start praying. God, I have no idea. You do. So start showing me. Maybe you have an idea and you're starting to walk in that. And, 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 but there, there's a next step. There's something that, that, that needs to happen. You're not quite sure what needs to happen and where you need to go, or what you need to do, or what you need to say. And you need to ask God about that. Or you feel like you've got somebody that, that you're really impacting and they're right on the cusp. And you just need something, an opportunity got to poke their heart a little bit more a word to say maybe you need a little bit of boldness and courage because we all do we all do see to show up and just prevent decay that doesn't take a whole lot of courage you just kind of show up but to actually 
change the score, it takes a little bit of courage. And courage isn't the absence of fear, it's action despite fear. And we all need that. I need that. Maybe you need a prayer for boldness, a prayer for courage, a prayer for God to open up just the, just the opportunity that, that, that's needed to change them into, into light, into somebody that cheers God. As the band plays, consider where you're at. Consider what God wants for you next. I'll be here. Shelly will be in the back. You can talk to one of us. You can pray with one of us. You can grab somebody to pray with. But how does God want to use the greater character that He has given you to have greater impact in the areas, in the culture, and the people around you? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank You for this time. I thank You for all that You're doing. I just pray, Lord, that You can give us greater impact. That You can prevent decay. That You can change our life Uh, uh, change decay into life and shine the light into our darkness. I pray, Lord, that you will use us to impact people around us and that we can see you work in amazing ways. You can open up doors that we never thought would be open. Use us. Show us. Show us as a people. Show us as individuals how we're supposed to impact the world around us. How we're supposed to impact the, 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 the communities and the neighborhoods around us. Where are you supposed to take us? And What building and what, for what location do you want as we gather together to be salt and light? Show us this. Send us. Take us. Reveal to us. In your name we pray. Amen.